Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today we bring you a story of the game where Havlicek stole the ball. It is one of the most famous defensive plays in NBA history. If you're a basketball history aficionado like I am, then you have probably seen this play on a highlight package of some of the greatest plays of all time. It is certainly one of the greatest defensive plays of all time. This play is up there with LeBron's chase-down block on Andre Iguodala in Game 7 of the 2015 NBA Finals. It is up there with Larry Bird stealing Isaiah Thomas's inbound pass in the 1987 Eastern Conference Finals. Some of you might even be thinking of Bam Adebayo's block of Jason Tatum's dunk attempt at the rim in last year's playoffs in the bubble. Now, I am not taking anything away from those plays. They have become iconic defensive plays. They seem even larger because they happen in playoff games. Someday, they might even get their own episode. So my purpose today is not to try to rank this play against the other great defensive plays. My purpose today is just to share the story and get into the human drama that created that situation where John Havlicek was able to steal the ball and save the victory. I have to take you back to Thursday, April 15, 1965 to the Boston Garden. Back in those days, the Garden, like most NBA arenas, got quite smoky by the fourth quarter as smoking was allowed inside the arenas. The Boston Garden sat 14,890 for a basketball game. The crowd was mostly men, and most of them wore a coat and tie to attend the game. As mentioned, most of them smoked. It was Game 7 of the Eastern Division Finals between the host Boston Celtics and the visiting team, the Philadelphia 76ers. The winner of the game would move on to the 1965 NBA Finals. The Celtics were the defending champs. In fact, the Celtics had won the previous six championships in a row and seven of the previous eight. The Celtics wanted to keep their streak going. Being eliminated on their home floor was something that Bill Russell had never experienced and he did not want to start then. The players came out for the opening tip-off. It was a who's who of players for both teams. The 76ers started three future Hall of Famers in Will Chamberlain, Al Greer, and Chet Walker. The other two starters were Dave Gamby and Al Bianchi. Now, Chamberlain had not played with the team all year long. He began the season with the San Francisco Warriors, who traded him mid-season to the 76ers. In fact, Chamberlain was traded the night after the All-Star game in St. Louis. With all of the NBA owners in town for that All-Star game, the Warriors owner, Franklin Muley, was going around in the after-party trying to swing a deal with any owner willing to give a fair return on Will Chamberlain. Muley was sick of Chamberlain. He felt not only that Chamberlain was a prima donna, but honestly, Muley was falling behind on paying Chamberlain his salary and needed to unload his contract. The 76ers stepped up and offered three role players in $300,000 in cash, most of which went directly to Chamberlain to cover his back pay that the Warriors owed him. The three role players, by the way, were Lee Schaffer, Connie Deerking, and Paul Newman. No, not that Paul Newman. 
this is a different Paul Newman. Paul Newman, the basketball player. This is a very different guy that just happened to share the same name with the famous actor. So, Chamberlain was off to Philadelphia, his hometown, and he was going to play for coach Dolph Shays, who was a Hall of Fame player, but not a great coach. Chamberlain had a beef with Shays that went back to their playing days, when Shays said in a magazine article that Chamberlain was an immature whiner. The Celtics' starting lineup consisted of Bill Russell, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, Tom Heinsohn, and Tom Sanders. All five of them are in the Hall of Fame. Even the sixth man, John Havlicek, who is at the center of the story, is also in the Hall of Fame. No other team in NBA history ever had all five starters and the sixth man end up in the Hall of Fame. From a talent perspective, it was an abundance of riches. So, of the 10 players on the court for the tip-off, 8 of them are in the Hall of Fame. Outside of an All-Star game, you almost never see that many Hall of Famers on the court at the same time. This game is truly a battle of giants. There are so many great players on the court. It was a tight game all the way through, with about 2 minutes left in the contest, Boston led the game 110-103, to and it looked like for sure they were going to be headed to the finals. However, that's when Wilt Chamberlain happened. Over the next 90 seconds, Wilt scored a tip-in basket, then two free throws, and then a dunk to bring the game to within one point at 110-109. With Chamberlain's dunk, there was only around six seconds left on the clock. The 76ers were going to need to steal the inbound pass or purposely foul and hope that the Celtics missed their free throws. The 76ers quickly set up their defense to try to steal the inbound pass. Bill Russell, the captain of the Celtics, decided that he would be the guy to throw the ball in. He said later in an interview that he did not trust anyone else to successfully make that inbound pass in a clutch moment. Before I keep going, I need to tell you that back then the backboard setup could be quite different from one arena to another. The only thing that was consistent was that the rim had to be exactly 10 feet off the ground. Today, all 30 teams used an identical design for the basket support. But in the Boston Garden on that day, the backboard was attached to the balcony by wires to help keep the backboard steady during the game. Red Auerbach, the coach of the Celtics, said that the wires were only recently installed for the beginning of that year's playoffs. They had not been there most of the year. Those wires will play a big part in this story. I am going to take a break right here. I'll be right back with Bill Russell's inbound pass with just six seconds left in game seven, right after this. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and now let's keep going with the story of how Havlicek stole the ball. So in this clutch moment, Bill Russell takes the ball from the referee and goes to throw the ball in, and the ball hits one of those wires, and it goes out of bounds. It is now the 76ers ball with no time coming off the clock. They still had those six seconds to make a basket. For the 76ers, the best possible outcome just happened. They did not even have to steal the ball. The Celtics turned it over underneath their own basket. The 76ers were going to be able to inbound the ball from the same spot right under the basket that they were shooting on. But the biggest shock of the moment is that Russell failed in the clutch. He made a potentially devastating mistake with playoff elimination on the line. Their six-year championship streak was also on the line. Russell knew that he had blundered in a huge way. It was now the 76ers' turn to inbound the ball. But first, the 76ers called a timeout so that Shays could draw up a play for them. 
The play called for Hal Greer to inbound the ball to Chet Walker. Greer would then run around a screen set by bench player Red Kerr and then receive the return pass from Walker for a 15-foot jump shot. Greer was hot that night, so he was their best option. Chamberlain was a risk in late-game situations like this. If they inbounded to Chamberlain, the Celtics would have fouled him immediately and sent him to the free-throw line where he struggled his entire career. The Celtics knew that the ball was not going to go to Chamberlain. Meanwhile, in the Celtics huddle, Bill Russell would later say that he looked at his team and said, someone needs to bail us out, as if he was not the one who turned the ball over. The 76ers came out of the timeout and set up their play. The Celtics then set up their defense. Their goal was identical to the 76ers' goal just a few moments earlier. They needed to steal the ball, if possible. If not, they had to play good defense but not foul, unless it was Chamberlain, and then go ahead and foul. Hal Greer takes his spot just outside the baseline next to the referee who is holding the ball. Casey Jones of the Celtics is assigned to guard the inbound pass. He is jumping up and down like he is on a pogo stick. Chamberlain sets up directly under the basket to get ready for a putback in case the initial shot misses. Russell is fronting Chamberlain just in case Greer decides to pass the ball to Chamberlain under the basket for an easy dunk or layup. Red Kerr, for the 76ers, is setting up right behind Casey Jones' right shoulder to set the screen for when Greer comes running around and Sam Jones is guarding Kerr. Chet Walker, the target of Greer's inbound pass, sets up on the right elbow facing Greer. Havlicek sets up a few feet in front of Walker with his back to the ball but with his head turned so that he can see the pass with his arms out wide. Nowadays, the target of an inbound pass will step into his defender in order to give him a little bump to freeze him. Then the target player immediately takes off at an angle in order to receive the pass cleanly. But that is not how Chet Walker played it. He started to drift slowly to his right without making any contact with Havlicek. Greer makes the pass, but he puts too much arc on it, meaning that the ball was in the air for way longer than it needed to be. That would give any defender time to adjust to the ball's path and potentially steal it, which is exactly what happened. Havlicek stepped in front of Walker and jumped up to tip the ball with his fingertips to his teammate Tom Sanders. Sanders immediately takes off dribbling down court with no defender anywhere near him. As a 76ers player finally gets close to Sanders, he passes the ball to Havlicek, who is standing in the corner as fans are already starting to run onto the court. The fans mob John Havlicek and lift him up on their shoulders. After a while, the fans finally put him down and somebody ripped his jersey off of him. He barely made it into the locker room with only his shorts and shoes on. Russell gives him a huge hug because he knows that Havlicek just bailed him out after he hit that wire with his inbound pass. The Celtics were on their way to the finals for the ninth year in a row. For Bill Russell, it kept his streak alive of going to the NBA Finals every year of his career up to that point. By the way, Bill Russell went to the NBA Finals 12 times in his 13 seasons, winning 11 of them. But what really made this moment iconic was the call by Celtics play-by-play -play announcer, Johnny Most. Five seconds left, Boston only has a one-point lead. Greer's putting the ball on a play. He gets it out deep and have a check
By comparison, the NBA Finals were anticlimactic. The Celtics once again faced the Los Angeles Lakers, who were riddled with injuries. The Celtics won the championship four games to one. Every game of the Finals, except for one, was a complete blowout. The Celtics cruised to their seventh championship in a row and eight out of the previous nine. Nobody could figure out how to beat the Celtics. Well, that's our story for today. That is how Havlicek stole the ball. Join us next week when we share the story of the father of modern basketball coaching, Forrest Fogg Allen. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go ahead and give us a rating and a review, and that will help others to find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There, you will find shorter historical posts, as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care, and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.